Yo, 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 yo. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. The Whistling in the Dark podcast, episode 41. Today is April 20th, 2020. 420, 2020. An epic date. Um, so, I am here to talk about probably mostly coronavirus, COVID-19 stats, reactions. <clears throat> I'm uh, pretty down about things. Um, I found it really hard to uh, motivate to talk and really put my thoughts together. It's hard. It's hard for me to really find any uh, reporting articles, people posting stuff on social media, anything at all that is um, promising to me. <clears throat> and I'm not referring to the disease itself, really more in the responses to it, and, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I've discovered some something new about the population of the United States and to some extent the world in general, but I definitely feel even more pessimistic than I used to. Um, and maybe I'm just depressed because I've been stuck in my house for, I don't even know, six weeks or something now. <clears throat> So it's been a while since I recorded, I don't know exactly the day, but we had crossed 20,000 cases and sometime today or, you know, probably early tomorrow, there will be 800,000 cases. We actually have over 40,000 deaths, deaths attributed to the coronavirus in the United States alone. <clears throat> so, um, as far as, you know, numbers and stuff itself, I, I still have been sticking to this worldometers.info and, you know, I, and I was trying to find, I found this other site that did, um, K it, it, it broke down like the tests per day in the U.S. And I, I think to some extent we've peaked with that. And, you know, uh, right now, you know, we're all looking at this, uh, these numbers. And to some extent, you know, maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It, it seems, you know, for sure that the number of new cases each day has, you know, flattened at least. <clears throat> We're certainly now nowhere anywhere close to exponential growth in the number of cases now. Um, it's probably linear, and then the slope is even going to start to decline. But, um, you know, like we've been uh, probably said two episodes ago, I'd say this is the third coronavirus um, episode or, you know, since uh, we've really been kind of in this lockdown situation. And, um, you know, we're... A paper was just published, and I think it's still in preprint. Um, 
Right. So it's not necessarily, I mean, I guess we'll have to see, uh, you know, I guess I, I may have to eat crow after this if they um, wind up not publishing or getting peer-reviewed. Uh, it's interesting how <laughs> this stuff like this is picked up uh, before it even hits the, uh, my, you know, I might certainly anything I ever published or did not get picked up before it was in uh, a peer-reviewed journal. But anyway, um, their estimates, and it's just, it's in one county and, so in early April, they did some studies where I guess they tried to just get a, <clears throat> a pretty representative sampling of the population of Santa Clara. And there was uh, over 3,000 people in the study. And um, I forget what their... Uh, rates were... In, exactly overall in the population but they felt that um there was 50 to 85 times but so basically they just got like a random sampling of people and they tested them and the rate was between 50 and 85 times higher than the confirmed cases so that's an interesting piece of data um now so we're talking the beginning of april i mean who knows i i don't believe throughout april the number of tests have ramped up you know to some large amount <clears throat> so you know without that uh, without assuming that the you know the number of tests or that the frequency of tests are higher is to me that would be the clear or that would be kind of like at least the first way that i might try to poke holes in this and I, i'll give a i'll give a link to it i can at least read the um title of this wherever it is Uh, here it is. COVID-19 antibody seroprevalence in Santa Clara County, California. Um, Aaron, Ben David, Bianca Mullaney, and a bunch of other people collaborated or co-authored this paper. Um, but yeah, like I said, I will uh, leave a link. And I don't know who these... Uh, boy. Aaron... Ben David is uh, Stanford, uh, Stanford, uh, yeah, USC, Stanford, Stanford. So can't kind of mainly out of Stanford. <clears throat> so I would say, you know, you know, obviously the the um, desire is to take this number fifty eighty five and multiply it by confirmed cases and say, well, there's like you know. 40 at the low end 40 million um you know confirmed cases if you do 50 times 800,000 and uh 80 I think it was up to 68 million so 40 to 68 million people infected uh with COVID-19 in the United States right now and that would be just taking that um 
you know, that number that they witnessed in Santa Clara Valley, which is, so what is that number? It's the number of actual infections, right? That's, that's the unknown. And the number of, uh, you know, confirmed. So, you know, what it, the, the important thing is this ratio, right? And so if they are catching more than they were back then, you know, if more people are getting tested without being on like death's door, possibly this ratio, you know, would be lower. Um, but I really not sure if that's the case. Uh, I mean, you may, you may make an argument that maybe you throw out New York, uh, it might be really hard to make a statistical sort of comparison to, between Santa Clara value, uh, Santa Clara County and what's happening in New York, particularly in New York city, um, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, yeah, like proximity, all that stuff. I don't think that any of that stuff really matters. I think a really important thing is just how many people are getting tested and how many people are we getting tested that don't necessarily have symptoms, you know, because I mean, I, uh, I would have to read through this in more detail, but I don't know that very many of these people even had symptoms. Um, but I'm actually not totally sure. Um, and, you know, again, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, disclaimer, I have a, I have a PhD in physics, but I have never, and even, you know, kind of biophysics to some extent, I studied um, the way neurons uh synchronized in the brain some stuff about that uh but you know it was i was pretty light on the bio side of the biophysics i was mainly um studying some non-linear phenomenon and kind of treating it in a mathematical way but nonetheless i mean i feel like i'm i'm probably you know <laughs> far advanced in my abilities to read through papers on epidemiology than you know your average person but i am not an epidemiologist. So I don't know how, you know, I can't really poke holes about that. They're, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they're, even their test was wrong, right? Like maybe they, they actually didn't have a good COVID-19 test and it gave a bunch of positives or false positives or something. I really have no idea. Um, <clears throat> but that, you know, if they're, I mean, if they're off by a factor of two, it's still pretty shocking, you know. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think it's somewhat um, congruent with what I, I would think most people probably expected. Um, I remember reading, and I think we might have, I think we talked about it last episode, with the swine flu, and they estimate that like 50 or 60 million people were infected with the swine flu. So, I mean, if, if, and, you know, very few confirmed cases. I, I mean, there was definitely not 800,000 confirmed cases of the swine flu in the United States. Um, so, you know, that's, 
I, I mean, it doesn't seem like that wild, right? I mean, and, and again, maybe they weren't testing as much. I, you know, I don't know. Apparently, maybe it was you showed symptoms far less with the swine flu. Not sure about any of that, but this is kind of um, this was one piece of information that over the last week, coupled with some other thoughts, have um, started to get me to side with the, you know, okay, open up America again for business and the world. Um, and, you know, so that's one thing. It's like, I mean, if 60 million people already have the coronavirus... You know, I, I mean, I think like to some extent, you know, like you're the we, you know, like the um, like the idea of like the herd immunity or whatever is, you know, I mean, we're already getting close to it. And, the you know, the idea of like um, overwhelming the hospitals, well, maybe that maybe if we just were all out interacting, we would have already sort of crossed the threshold where we effectively would have created this herd immunity. And that would have just naturally flattened the curve anyway, because once enough people are immune to it, it can't be passed around. So that's, that's something uh, I wanted to, to just do a little sidebar on is a lot of people are saying the phrase herd immunity. And I wonder how many people know what it is or are bothered to look it up. Um, but it's pretty simply just saying like, if what well, I think the number they always say is 80%. I have no idea if that I, I have my doubts that they're able to understand this phenomenon to that level. But the idea is that if only two out of every 10 people are even able to be infected by a, a you know, pathogen or virus or whatever, it's just not going to be able to be spread around because now you need, you know, uh, it's, it's like, uh, should be just like 20%, right? Uh, times 20% or something like that. So 20% of 20%. So, you know, a very small percentage of people would even be able, like, so the, the idea is there's like only a, right. If you just like randomly drop the virus on the somebody out of these 10 people, well, you only have a 20% chance of hitting them once you're at this, you know, and now this, uh, the chance of that person coming into contact it's actually not exactly it's it's one in nine right so it's it's 20 percent, and then you have to divide that again by nine so it's a it's a low number and and you know and now like again to to then get it to the next person and the next person you know but when nobody has immunity which a novel coronavirus has that problem that pretty much nobody has an immunity in the beginning it spreads really fast but it sort of spreads to herd immunity and then you know but the i mean it's and i i don't know if this is true i've actually been thinking a, a buddy of mine um 
from grad school, I know he's been really, really like digging into these numbers and stuff. I was thinking of asking him uh, to call in and and have him on the show. I would, I would love to hear um, him kind of go into more detail. I have not been taking that that amount of time on this. Um, but I think that the reality is probably that herd immunity is the is the like the end of this and that just comes by people getting infected now you can manufacture herd immunity through vaccinations but you know they don't have a vaccine for this and you know i think um and you know i don't know uh how anecdotal this is or how how many studies have really been done but i i've heard that you know you have to be concerned about getting vaccines um like i think that there is some data backing up the idea that if you had the flu vaccine you actually were more likely to wind up with covid-19 um you know i don't know how vaccines work i it seems as plausible as anything i mean i have no reason to assume that this this wouldn't be uh you know wouldn't be possible so uh you know i, I don't know getting so maybe getting a new COVID-19 vaccine might wind up making the flu season, you know, worse and more deadly then. Um, so, you know, and, and, uh, the other big piece of this is I kind of bought the whole flattening of the curve thing. And, uh, I, I, I didn't really look, you know, that much into it. I just, it was sort of my natural inclination to pull back and just kind of quarantine myself in my house. Um, but I'm a bit, you know, of a natural recluse and most of the stuff that I do in my life, I can do from my house. I can work from home. I can podcast from home. I can make music from home. In fact, you know, that I do all my podcasting and music from my house. And um, so to me, it wasn't like a big stretch. I, I was actually pushing at work that we should like, you know, even that last week we were there, I was just like, this doesn't make sense. Like, we can all work from home. Like, let's just go home. We're a tech company. Like, we can all work remotely. We work remotely, like, on Fridays anyway. And we have other people that are 100% remote. So, you know, I was definitely um, kind of that direction in my head already. And, you know, I kind of said that it's, it is a little more difficult for me to get worked up at the government when their policies, while constricting rights, happen to not really affect me. And, you know, I think that's a bit of human nature. And, you know, maybe to some extent that goes against the idea of like, oh, you know, something like, you have to stand up for first speech that, you know, you find offensive, like that's the real, you know, truth of it. And yeah, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not totally sure in my head. I mean, I do think that this a little bit, you know, there's a weakness and, and also I think it was just so new, um, that, I mean, God forbid, like I don't jump to some conclusion and, you know, and that's kind of the vibe I'm bringing into this whole podcast is just like, fuck everybody, you know, like fuck everybody that is like 
claiming that if you want to end the lockdown, you're going to have blood on your hands and just listen to the epidemiologist and like fuck everybody that's saying like, oh, this was a hoax or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's all bullshit. Like, I mean, you may be able to find like a micro, you know, microscopic percentage of those people that actually have some clue about what they're talking about, but none of them do. None of the people I, I mean, even, even if, and I think this is a key point, even if you're an epidemiologist, like chill the fuck out because you're not an economist, you know, you're not like a business owner, you know, like you don't understand the effects that doing this to the world's population simultaneously has on people. You don't know how many lives this is going to cost, you know, like, I mean, in like the U.S. and, and you know, most of, I mean, at least Western Europe and stuff. I mean, we are so like we're going to be so insulated from the problems and the fallout compared to. I mean, I don't even know if they're locking down in Africa, but like India or whatever, just like very poor countries. Um, You know, I mean, just think about, first of all, you, if you're listening to this podcast, there's probably a good fucking chance that you're not like super stoked about the lockdown. Um, But, you know, really think about like why it might be worse you know, and, you know, I, I mean, that's the, the thing is, it's like, this is extremely serious, right? Like, we're talking about, okay, already, you know, what was the number again? 40, and I'm not even talking about the U.S., right? So 42,000 U.S., 170,000 people have already died of COVID-19. Um, you know, again, believe the numbers or not, I, I don't have any other way to like track this. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't poke holes in these numbers. Um, I became a little suspicious when recently, like this week, there was suddenly this spike in deaths in the United States. And I know one day they just lumped 3,000 and some deaths on a single day. Uh, but that, you know, I mean, that was like obviously not a real spike that one particular day, but there were like several days where the death rate or the number of deaths per day in the U.S. had jumped up and people were like, oh, see, you know, it's like, I, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Obviously, I have a natural distrust of the government, you know, clearly they're going to use this to benefit, you know, them and their cronies, right? We're they're they're gonna take away, you know, more freedom. They're gonna add more economic regulations to strangle the small business owner. You know, they're they're I mean, the trillions of dollars that are coming in, you know, that they are gonna inject in the economy. They're not going, you know, the lion's share of them are going to the rich. They're not going to go to regular people. The poor and the middle class are going to see a fucking sliver of this money. And they don't have, the U.S. government doesn't have any money to fucking spend. Like, it's not, they, they can only borrow it from future tax money. You know, they don't 
fucking generate. They're not a business. They don't generate any revenue. They just get tax money or they will, you know, pay for it through monetizing the debt, the Fed, and, you know, we'll all pay for it by inflation. And like we've talked about, inflation hits wage earners the worst. The poor and the middle class, the people that show up and they get a wage, they're the ones that take the hit. You know, you don't get access to the newly minted capital that the Fed's given out. No, you get to pay higher prices at the grocery store, at the clothing store, or whatever the fuck you do, your car, your gas, everything, you pay more, and your wages do not go up the equivalent amount. This is what inflation does. This is what it's been doing. Hyperinflation isn't the only boogeyman with the Fed. The Fed has been bleeding the poor and the middle class dry for over a hundred years. When people say, oh, the libertarians, you're always predicting gloom and doom. No, it's, it's already happened. We're the frogs and we've been boiled. Like, they're still boiling us. They're still cooking you know, I guess we're not quite dead yet. Uh, they're still going. They find that there's even more they can squeeze out of us. Like they haven't gotten enough yet. So that's how they're going to, quote unquote, pay for this, you know. And people are worried about the government shutdown in this case. Like, Jesus Christ, like stay shut down. You know, all that government is is a net negative on the economy. Stay shut down. We got this. You know, but, but back to the, uh, question at hand or the point or the vibe of today's podcast, which is fuck everybody, you know, it's that nobody knows all those things. There's no economists that are epidemiologists. There's no epidemiologists that are economists and all the politicians are fuckheads and there aren't either thing, right? Um, I mean, basically, you know, like that's the thing. It's like all they ever do is have like this Fauci dude talk about the disease, talk about the disease. And then, I mean, I guess you have Trump sort of kind of talking about the economy, but you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not an economist. So he extremely unconvincing. Um, but you know, I think like there's going to be, uh, real deaths from this, economic shutdown worldwide shutdown uh you know and we're at 170,000 deaths i mean who knows right like uh, I, and and i was looking around a bit and i honestly had trouble even finding articles addressing this you know talking about this uh this idea that oh my fucking god that maybe we shouldn't you know or trying to quantify um the economic impact and the impact on human lives like what's that toll gonna be and um you know people are i people People that, when they hear that, 
short circuit to like, oh, who cares about money? All you, you know, you, it's just rich people wanting to get back to making their money again. I mean, that's just ignorant, you know? It, I mean, it's ignorant on a shocking level. Uh, it's ignorant to a level where I am mortified that this person is allowed to vote and have some say in, in my life. Um, because that's like what a child should think. But I also think that that's probably like 80% of the American populace of adult age. They have absolutely no understanding of the economy, and so they're continually dupes uh, by the, you know, crony capitalist Democrats and Republicans and these, uh, you know, ever-increasing authoritarian march that they've got us on. And these are the dupes, as they have no ability to defend themselves they're too ignorant maybe they're just not intelligent enough certainly not educated enough you know they are they are conditioned to expect the government to be their you know safety net and their savior and it just seems like every day it's a little bit more normal to demonize the free market. I I mean, I got to say, like, maybe this is a bit cyclical because I would assume, I'm guessing, back in the 60s, you know, socialism and communism was kind of popular amongst, like, the hippie crowd. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know, but I believe it, you know. Whereas... You know, when I grew up in the 80s and, and the early 90s, <clears throat> it certainly wasn't, you know, pro-communism. It was not, like, cool to, to you know, be, like, a fan of Fidel Castro or try to, like, spin Russia as, like, you know, the communist, well, you know, when I was really young, as, like, a cool thing. Um, but now, so many... And I'm like adult friends, like young adult friends, people that are like even in their you know late twenties, early thirties. Now by then, I kind of had my intellectual shit together with regards to politics. But you know, if I've freely admitted on this podcast, I mean, there was a long time. It wasn't really until the beginning of grad school that I I kind of seriously started looking at this um, this stuff, but. You know, I also wasn't going out and trying to spread what I thought to other people in some very, like, overt fashion. And that's that's the thing that sucks, is she's just super ignorant. Like, I don't know, millennials or whatever they are, you know, people now and they're like, late 20s they're graduating college or they graduated college or even into their 30s and and i feel like it it's weird because i feel like it's actually crept into my age bracket somehow like through the younger people like they've got infected with this as well um but it's just 
you know, it now you could make the claim that I'm holding on to this Austrian perspective and it's not mainstream and, you know, it's pretty much rejected by mainstream economists. But the idea of a centrally planned economy being better than a free market is so wholly rejected by economists. I mean, there's nobody out there that thinks, you know, that that is actually studying economics. I mean, it's just a tiny percentage that buy a centrally planned economy, you know, and anyway, this isn't really the purpose of, of today's episode, but the point is, is these voices are very loud and I feel my world is filled with very, very loud, very, very ignorant voices. And I'm, I'm using ignorant to be nice because what I really think is they're stupid. They're actually like feeble minds. They not, it's not just that they don't have the information is that they're too dumb to process it. And Buying into the free market and understanding its strength, I think, is intellectually more difficult than buying into just being uh, in the safe arms of the welfare state, you know, of the the socialists, whatever. And um, and the thing is, I, I mean, I don't even think people are even talking about social. Like to me, socialism and communism are basically synonyms. And then they say, oh, democratic socialism, but I mean, what they're doing in no way is it connected to to Marx, right? Like, in no way are they talking, you know, in Western European countries, the, you know, the uh, means of production are not owned by the state. It's not, right? I mean, they basically just have a free market with a lot of regulations and in a lot of ways, less regulations than in the United States. It's just sort of different regulations. And they have like a bigger uh, welfare, you know, safety net type thing with the, um, I mean, I guess what everybody talks about is like insurance and stuff. But, you know, they have more of these like consumer regulations or whatever. Uh, But I really don't think that there's a huge difference between the U.S. and Western Europe in, in that way, you know. When you look to state-owned, like the the government owning the means of production, it gets fucking bleak fast. I mean, point anywhere, point to any country that this has not been an abject failure, just massive cost of human lives. I I mean, I'm really not. I don't think that there's even close to an example of this working out. Um, And, you know, the idea that the people own it is, that's just semantics. Call it whatever you want. It doesn't fucking work. Sure, the people can own it, but when one man, you know, has a say on where all this capital gets deployed, you really think the other, like, 300 million people in the country own it? Or does he own it? Like, what does ownership actually mean then? You know? Is it just 
something that you can say that maybe you have a law on a piece of paper somewhere that that states that all of the people of you know north korea own all of the uh the you know capital goods but when the great leader has like complete say in deploying these capital goods and the use of them isn't it in reality he's the owner you know, and obviously North Korea is the extreme situation. But what about China? You know, what about communist Russia? I'm, uh, you know, it never, it never even kind of works. And you cannot point to Western Europe as an example of like socialism or communism. It's just, it's not. It's not even close. They, you know, the. I mean, we're as close to communists as they are, right? Like. We have a central bank. They have a central bank. It's a big plank from for Marx. Really important. <clears throat> we have graduated income tax. They have graduated income tax. This is how he's he want you know he laid out to get there, right? Like so we're I I don't know possibly France is further down the line. I you know I really don't know. You know I feel like. If they are, we're about to fucking leapfrog them because France is like, to me, a lot more stable in where they're at. You know, there hasn't been some like gigantic upheaval, whereas the U.S., like, uh, I don't know, since like Obama came in, I, I would say it's like an almost like an unrecognizable change. And uh, demonizing everything that is the individual is more or less, you know, what's happening in the United States now in, in popular culture. <laughs> anyway, so gigantic tangent aside, back to this idea of weighing the deaths due to closing the economy down of the whole world versus weighing the deaths of not quarantining, right? So... I don't, you know, neither one of those numbers is, is was well understood. I mean, obviously the fucking quarantine, I mean, the COVID deaths have been, you know, all over the map, but generally way higher than what they've actually been. I mean, they've now come down to like, at least in the US, they're saying like 60,000. Fucking a few weeks ago, they were saying like 200 some thousand, you know, like it changed that. Fa I mean, nothing change like you had to know we were coming to the fucking peak you know you looked at the others and i'm not saying you can't have another you know wave of the virus or whatever but i think that it's a pretty interesting scenario you put out when you say hey at the end of the day pretty much like a shit ton of people are going to be infected. A ton of people are going to be infected. And if you had a situation where the really vulnerable, those over 50, and then, you know, as you get older, it gets more and more vulnerable, you know, 60, 70, you know, it's even more and more important to stay quarantined as best you can. And uh, those particularly that are over 50 with pre-existing conditions, you say, hey, you know, if you're retired, like, stay home, be very fucking careful, you know, like, we can do stuff to, like, make sure that we are getting them the supplies they need in a safe way, and then 
voila, we develop herd immunity in the population over probably not that long a time. We've already got 60 million people and we've been sitting in our fucking houses, you know, um, already infected or whatever, you know, number we said was 40 to 68 million. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, I'm not saying, oh, this is definitely true and oh my god you're you're evil and there's gonna be blood on your hands if if you don't agree with me but it's quite possible there's gonna be blood on your hands you know like i'm not saying it's definitely not but who knows and you know nobody's ever gonna know because we're we can't do this thing like an actual experiment. We're just going to go through it. We're going to make the decisions we make or the decisions by the government will be made without any say of us. And then the results will be the results. And the government and the corporate media, who are all part of this like fucking, you know, fascist cabal running the country and, you know, probably a large portion of the world, are going to spin it the way that makes them look the best and makes freedom and the free market look the worst. And most of these dumb fucking idiots, ignorant people, will buy it hook, line, and sinker, and they will vote for the next Authorian monster to come in, whether it's Trump or the person after Trump, and that's just going to keep us fucking going down this road. And it's going to be harder and harder for people to build up any amount of wealth of their own, to build up savings, buy houses, you know, all these things, have money left for their kids, you know. I mean, this is the stuff, right? This is what Marx wanted to get rid of. He wanted to get rid of private property. He wanted to get rid of land ownership. He wanted the state to own all the land. Well, you know, we're paying taxes. I mean, do we really, really own anything like I bought a house but do I really own it even after I pay it off if I don't pay the taxes the fuck government will come in there and take it it's theirs you know so was it ever really mine I don't know obviously the graduated income tax inheritance abolish inheritance you know we have a tax it's not completely abolished or anything but but they're working on it um and I see it's just going to keep going. And this event is going to keep it going. Uh, keep it, it, you know, this just downward trend. Less freedom and, you know, worse economic conditions for the poor and the middle class. That's, that's where we've been headed for a while and we're going to continue to head. And it ain't the free market's fault. It is not. You know, they take a situation like this and, you know, whether it's engineered or not, they're sure is going to fucking engineer it, the response into their favor and they're going to use it. They're going to bankrupt. I mean, you know how many fucking small businesses are going to go bankrupt because the economy is totally shut down, that they're fucking basically at gunpoint, not allowed to continue to do business. And who's going to swallow up all that stuff? You know, who's going to swallow up all this, like the assets from these businesses? You think it's going to be other fucking poor and middle class or other small business owners? No, because they're all going to be, you know, fucking struggling. If they're still alive, they're barely going to be fucking scratching it out. 
No, it's going to be the people that took, that received this fucking, you know, all these banks and head funds and fucking huge companies that received this like $6 trillion injection. They're going to have all this goddamn money to buy up all these fucking cheap assets. And it's happened in 2008. It happened in the Great Depression. Go look. Go look how many banks used to exist. Go look how many banks existed before and after the Great Depression. Look how many banks existed before and after 2008 and I, I guarantee you it's going to be the same thing i mean at this point there's so few banks there's barely anything to buy up in that sector anymore but there's a whole lot of other small businesses because i think mo the majority of people in this country are employed by small medium-sized businesses not the fucking googles and apple and microsoft and whatever they're not the largest you know even collectively even though they get the lion's share of the government aid that's stolen from our future, they don't employ most of the people. But you know what? They have all the lobbyists. There's, you know, what percentage of fucking lobbyists do you think are in in Washington D.C. right now that are representing the poor and the middle class and the small business owner? It's a fucking tiny percent every single fucking person that is like schmoozing with these fucking politicians talking in their ear leveraging them doing whatever you know putting money in their pocket but you know however whatever fucking means they make it happen we got nobody representing us there you know so that and that's the problem I mean, that's like, that's why you can't give anybody, like, that right when you give a person this special power that they are above the law, and that's what the politicians are, they're above the law, right? Like, that's, that's what defines government, right? That's like, that's what defines, like, the difference. That's the fine line between a police officer and you, is a police officer can kidnap people, they can murder people, they can steal people's property, they can destroy people's property, and they get no, uh, you know, there's no recourse. They don't go to jail they don't have a trial, nothing, right? They're above the law. And, you know, these politicians, they can like, you know, they can make and, you know, with a stroke of the pen, all of a sudden make your property their property. So, and, and then they send their thugs out to enforce. So, I mean, to me, by extension, these politicians are above the law. And then also, these huge corporations that are lobbying to get the regulations onto their side and tip the scales in their, in their favor, they're also above the law. It's uh, all part of it. You got the fucking police thugs enforcing it, you know, and all the SWAT teams and fucking paramilitary intelligence, you know, fucking troops and shit and the FBI or whatever the sending door the the IRS you know ATF FDA will fucking kick down your door you know what I mean all these fucking people they'll kill you if you don't do what they say ultimately right they'll kill you they'll take all your shit they'll fuck up your property they'll steal it and ultimately you don't go with them they will eventually kill you you know the gun's always in the room and it's all of them together, right? It's these huge corporations, it's the politicians, and it's the thugs that are enforcing it. And that 
is the like crony capitalism. You know, it's not the free market. It's zilch to do with the free market. When you have somebody or some group of people that is now somehow for some reason allowed to operate in in like a privileged fashion that they can violate the property rights of other people they can kill other people without getting in trouble those people become very very valuable and then other people vie for control and influence over them and it just becomes a feedback loop and then they become the super rich and they can use this special power to keep down their competition, people that in a free market scenario may have had an actual, actually a better business and, you know, serve the needs of their customers better. But because you have this special class of people that are allowed, you know, under the quote unquote law to, to do violence on other people that, you know, they're able to tip the scales in their favor and has nothing to do with their ability to actually, like, deliver the product or service better, you know, to their customers. And, um, you know, that's what we're in. And so what, you know, what people point out and what they're, they're just absolutely brainwashed to do is to demonize the capitalist, right? It's the, per- it's the, it's the person that has gotten the money out of the free market, that's the problem. And sure, right? Like I just described, at this point in the United States, it's hard to really peel them apart, you know? Uh, it's hard to peel Google and the United States of America apart anymore, the government. Um, you know, it's at one point, I think they probably did a, a great job. And that's the other thing, too. And I remember you can find an interview with Bill Gates where he talks about this. He talks about when the U.S. sued uh, and did all the anti-monopoly stuff on Microsoft. He said before that day, they did not have a single lobbyist in government. And you can see how it works, right? Even like, you know, the big demon of the day for, for like the libertarian conspiracy theorists. Uh, and I'm sure, I hope some of you listen to this podcast. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just don't talk about it that much. Um, but you know, Bill Gates, the vaccinator and all this shit. Right. And, uh, his dad wasn't his dad, like, or his mom or something real big and Planned Parenthood, all this stuff, eugenics. And well, I, you know, I, I don't know about all that. I'm not really exactly sure, but there was a time where this guy actually like really spoke uh, down about lobbyists and he was he was pretty ashamed about it that essentially like I feel like it goes like either way. It's like this inevitable thing. You make a government of people that have special privileges. People are going to fucking do anything they can to get into that class or to control that class right to control that special privilege and the crazy thing is like that class they will also reach out and pull the rich in and make them play ball and that's what they did with microsoft now microsoft lobbies the shit out of the fucking government you know they're just like everybody else and who knows apple could have went the same way and maybe google did too and every other big corporation you know i i don't think it really matters in this case like the chicken or the egg it's it's the existence of the special class of people that is the problem it's not the free market right and let's do another another thought experiment. 
Maybe it is a free market. Let's remove the free market and see how that looks. Well, you got North Korea, you got China, you got fucking communist Russia. It's an absolute fucking nightmare. A hundred percent guaranteed, you know, you remove the free market and you have all state-owned goods. First of all, the fucking central planners don't know what the fuck to make. They can't figure it out because they don't have prices to guide them. That's like all the information, right? Like the most important information in the economy is sales, is people actually buying stuff. And since you you completely destroyed that mechanism, they have no idea. They're just guessing. They're just like, now they're writing fucking academic papers. I'm like, well, you know, this many people starved here. And uh, so we should probably produce, you know, 4,000 more tons of fucking apples or whatever. And it's like, man, it doesn't fucking work like that. You're certainly not going to do it from one centralized place. And it's, a, it's been an absolute nightmare every time it's tried. What's the other option? The other option is removing the government entirely and having all private property. Now we're fucking cooking with gas. So I'm not going to, you know, pretend as if there is a real example of this i mean i guess you know i mean we're talking about fucking anarcho-capitalism i i know people talk about like celts or something maybe was sort of close to that you know i don't really know but at this point we you know but what you can see is as the government grows in the equation the you know we're the poor and the middle class uh are hurt you know they get weaker and weaker and you have more poor and you have less middle class you know you start to just have like a real binary distribution you have the haves and the have nots you know and you know you can see and and a big move obviously was the fed the fed coming in i mean that's their fucking golden goose you know that is the authoritarians like best weapon that's the thing they need above all that's why it's never talked about you know in the debates except for ron paul and you know trump used to talk about all oh, the you know the trump or obama's recovery was bs it was just you know low interest rates and blah 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 and he was right until he became president and then it became you know his ultimate weapon just like lower interest rates lower interest rates it can't be low enough so you know, I, I don't know, man. He was either lying before or you just, you, you're just, you can't fight the enticement of cheap money once that you have like control of the Fed. So, anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see any way that, you know, looking at laying it out in this fashion that you can think that removing the free market from the equation uh, in the United States is the answer. Um, clearly, we got to reduce government. We got to get rid of the fucking Fed. And I don't know how any of this happens. I don't know that it happens without going through some really, really terrible thing. And I wish... You know, I mean, life isn't like terrible for me. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I still think we're like certainly salvageable, right? Um, I just don't think we're mentally salvageable. I think that like <clears throat> it's not about, I mean, people could just wake up tomorrow and fucking, you know, vote all these demons out, 
and I don't know, fucking at least like rewind, you know, the clock back government wise, like way back. And I mean, obviously, I I would argue that you're just, you know, then the clock will just start again and we'll eventually be back here. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't know that it's that any I don't care if you go to a pure anarcho capitalist society and you have 100 percent buy in, you know, probably the next generation would have like 95 percent and then 90 percent. You know, I mean, at some point, people will just forget. They'll forget why they have all this wealth and why life is so good. And they'll have these fucking pieces of garbage that want to get control, that have no scruples. You know, I've been watching The Sopranos lately, and it's the same fucking mindset, right? Like, uh, you know, these, these like, mafia guys, and, and I know, obviously, it's, like, fictionalized or whatever, but just, like, the general idea of being, like, a sociopath, right? Like, they don't give a fuck. Like, they just, they just, uh, they fucking hurt people, they kill people, and it's just like in their mind it's like whatever man that's like you just get yours like you got to do it you know i mean somebody's gonna do it you know and they and they really don't see themselves as bad and whatever and those people are around and then sometimes those people are really really smart and then they learn and then they can start to try to manipulate other people that are like the bulk of the population who are like just not smart enough and eventually will get duped you know so I think that kind of probably whatever, you know, situation, you know, if we ever even got to my wet dream of an anarcho-capitalist, you know, society, it would still be temporary on some time scale, you know. But so to that extent, I do think that rewinding back the clock, you know, to the government that was in, you know, before the Fed in the early, early uh, 20th century, if it was that small, yeah, it would be a, you know. We would have a an economic boom unlike anything imaginable. The amount of wealth and technology that we have right now, the ability to produce, it would be outrageous. It would be unbelievable. And we would be so much further along if it wasn't for like just the the chains of the government holding down, you know, innovation from small businesses and, you know, just individuals, right? Like the amount of shit you've got to jump through to start a business there should be no hoops at all none at all like you have something and you want to sell it boom you know business you don't owe anybody anything you know this is between you and the person you sold it to now if you lied to that person and you know you tricked them all right well now we gotta go you go to court right that person can sue you you know but nobody's above the law in that scenario you know, not the not you, because you you can't lie, you can't do violence, not in that scenario. Like you can get if you lie and don't get caught, you know. All right, but I mean, you're telling me that doesn't happen now. You know, you're you're telling me like fucking Kim Jong Un is in uh, lying and not getting any consequences, or all his government people are doing violence, right? It's uh, you know, you're not above the law. You're not. And the person that you sold it to, they're not above the law either, right? Like you all got to operate in the, like, you know, common kind of court, the court of private property, right? So, anyway, so I, yeah, I mean, the reason I, I did this today, I was just reading some other shit some idiot posted, and I just felt like I couldn't take it anymore. I just wanted to go on some rant 
and uh, just talk about this because it's just like the same fucking thing over and over and over, you know? And it's so, everybody, you know, I mean, almost everybody's divided right down political lines, left and right, um, you know, and then, and what's the matter? I mean, we, you know, it's just going to go the same direction of increased authoritarianism. So let me just breeze through this Reason Magazine article. I did a search for quarantine effects on the economy on Google. Pretty interesting. Some scholarly articles showed up. Uh, then a Reason Magazine article. Then uh, the economic impact of quarantine and SARS in Toronto, which uh, it's it's funny. They actually... Oops. Um, yeah, this, so the author, so obviously, right, they, they conclude that, oh, yeah, it, if, uh, conclusions, the paper illustrates is not only in our humanitarian interest for public health and healthcare officials to remain aggressive in their response to newly emerging infections, but also in our co co collective economic interest, despite Somewhat daunting initial cost, quarantine saves both lives and money. So Gupta is, you know, just some... Uh... Yeah, I don't know who the... Uh... I mean, he's the, the lead author is not an economist. It's a very interesting... Um... Yeah, I mean, these other people are, like, I mean, the papers he wrote, Ethics and Professionalism, What Does a Resident Need to Learn, Development of Professional Character in Medical Students, I mean, so this guy obviously is, doesn't know anything about the fucking world economy or the, a country's economy, yeah, the emerging role of online communication between patients and their providers, infant illness spanning the whatever infant nutrition in the first seven days of life uh, in rural northern Ghana. So none of these people are, are economists, but yet their conclusions uh, include economic conclusions. So even in the hallowed grounds of peer-reviewed journals, they let bullshit like this through where quarantine saves both lives and money. How did they figure that out? You know, do they have any clue what the impact is? And I don't know what the um, here we weigh the economic costs and benefits associated with implementing widespread quarantine in Toronto during SARS outbreaks. So, I mean, I don't know how much they uh, they're talking about one city too. And uh, I did some other other searches as well, which led me to like an old uh a, a trying to think yeah some some about the government shutdown it's pretty funny that that's like google sort of uh, yeah i wound up like what are the effects of the on the economy from shutting down and you know so google thought i meant government shutdown obviously anyway so here's this reason magazine article we will regret not taking the economic effects of mass quarantine more seriously 
The, uh, the government botched the early response to coronavirus, so why expect it to grow in competence now? Shelter and... Uh, I'm going to find a way to get through this kind of quick, though. Shelter-in-place laws telling residents to stay in their homes whenever possible are sweeping in the country, making it clear that public health concerns, as opposed to worries about staving off economic collapse, have carried the day when it comes to responding to the coronavirus. That's a decision we will come to rue as a nation, since a disease's direct death rate is not the only factor to be considered in responding to it. Okay, I, I would disagree though that you know and i mean this is this is a problem on all sides that it's like and when i when i say all sides i mean the right and the left not us beautiful libertarians we don't have a dog in this fight made clear that you know public health concerns have uh you know carried the day and i would say it's divided on you know it's basically divided democrat republican like the democrats want oh you know the the virus to be like you know us to be locked down forever or whatever and then and the republicans want us you know back to work whatever and but i don't think either one of them is applying like good critical thinking uh and they're they're sort of summarizing for a while like the situation uh, similar order has been issued in California, blah, 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 localized restrictions such as banning gatherings, two more people outside the home, calls for a federal order existed so far by President Donald Trump in the name of letting states and cities respond to local conditions, only intensifies the nation enters the second half of the White House, 15 days to slow the spread initiative, and Congress readies an economic aid bill that most certainly top a trillion dollars. And when was this? Oh, this is March 23rd. <laughs> and this is by Nick Gillespie. I've actually, I think I've heard him on uh, <clears throat> uh, Dave Smith before. Um, it won't be popular to call attention to the possibility that such actions might be an overreaction. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with that. I see it all, you know, all over the place. Um, and it seems, you know... Like, to question it, I actually saw Dave Smith called out on Twitter by a bunch of people for this, too. Um, and, you know, kind of just like, yeah, man, I mean, he's he's not saying, oh, it's definitely one way or the other. It's just like, it's at least like, let's consider the question. Um, but it's a serious point, even if the sentiment has no hopes of carrying the, the day. The federal government botched the early response to coronavirus, so why should we expect it? To get its act together now, whenever we are finally clear of this epi of this pandemic, we will need to study our response to understand what we did right and what we did wrong. With a virtually complete halt of the American economy about to begin, we should enter this phase with full awareness that it was the only choice available to us. <clears throat> I don't know what that means. Uh... Yeah, so he points out something about the death rate um, on that ship was like 1%. Uh, blah, blah. While another um, biophysicist named Mike Levitt says... 
While many epidemiologists are warning of months or even years of massive social disruption and millions of deaths, Levitt says the data doesn't support such a dire scenario, especially in areas where reasonable social distancing measures are in place. Levitt isn't waving away health concerns, but he he's following the numbers as he finds them. Uh, the trajectory of deaths backs up his findings, Levitt said. So do data and outbreaks from confined environments, such as the one on the Diamond Prince's ship out of 3,700 people, 712 were infected and 8 died. In his view, this unintended experiment, coronavirus uh, spread, will help research estimate the number of fatalities. Uh, so, and that's where they come up with this, like, you know, 1%. But again, right, I mean, 700 people, are they really... 700 of like a really big is that like a really good cross section of people who fucking knows right no idea it's not a big number like that study right they only found right they they uh tested you know thousands of people so i don't know i mean i guess they tested about the same amount of people here but uh he he fears the public health measures that have shut down large swaths of the economy could cause their own health catastrophe as lost jobs lead to poverty and hopelessness. Time and time again, researchers have seen that suicide rates go up and economy spirals down. On March 19th, the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal argued that no society can safeguard public health for long at the cost of its overall economic health. Just a few days ago, it seemed plausible to argue for a more measured response to the pandemic, one that balanced several areas of concern, including the economy, civil liberties, and the psychological effects of quarantine. The dead weight loss in production will be profound and take years to rebuild in a normal recession. The U.S. loses about 5% of national output over the course of a year or so. In this case, we may lose that much or twice as much in a month. Yeah, I mean, what percentage of people are fucking working right now? You know, I, you know, I mean that like, <clears throat> and then that probably is a multiplicative factor because the economy is a very interconnected thing. It's very complicated. You chop out like a 50% chunk of the workforce I mean, who knows, but it could definitely drop the output by more than 50%, right? Um, anyway, so our friend Ed Hyman, the Wall Street economist, on Thursday adjusted his estimate for the second quarter to an annual rate loss in GDP of minus 20%. So that's right now. <laughs> no, that was in March. March, tw- uh, March 23rd. That was a month ago. They said that we we're going to lose 20% of gdp that was this guy's estimate what's it now fucking march 23rd i that might have even been before uh my other the episode let's see no march 21st was my last episode this was basically like two days after that (laughs) uh oh no i'm sorry there was march 19th that 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 this article's from the 23rd, but March 19th is what they're quoting. So this was even before there were 20,000. Before there were 20,000 cases. Now we have 800,000, and we've been locked down for another month. You think it's worse than 20%? I mean, do you think this guy predicted as bad as it was going to be when there were 20,000 cases? I mean, maybe, but, 
you know? And that's the thing, right? It's like this guy's just meek little voice in Reason Magazine who nobody fucking reads except for libertarians. And I guess this guy wrote this in the Wall Street Journal and probably was not a very, like, heavily trafficked article or shared. But if GDP seems abstract, consider human cost. Think about the entrepreneur who has invested his life in his Memphis ribs joint only see his customers vanish in a week or the retail chain of 30 stores that employs hundreds, but sees no sales and must shut its doors. I mean, that's the fucking truth. I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, how many like small, medium sized businesses have cash to withstand no income? I mean, my company lost, we're down 95% in revenue. (laughs) And that was like the week week two of our shutdown. 95%. And we're operating because we actually have a bunch of money, but that we that money was like allocated for expansion. Now it's just fucking weathering the pandemic. You know, so we'll see. Uh a recent graduate with twenty thousand in student loan debt takes on taking on a job with encouragement from politicians who finds herself laid off from her first job. Perhaps she can return home and live with her parents, but what if they're laid off too? How do you measure the human cost of crushed dreams, lives upended, mental health damage that result from the orders of federal and state governments? Not even a full week later, those concerns seem to be a distant and irrelevant arguments against massive and ineffective stimulus spending in the wake of 2008 final financial crisis this problem if the problem this time is literally new the novel coronavirus the politics are all too familiar (laughs) uh the politicians in washington are telling americans as they always do they're riding to the rescue by writing checks to individuals and offering loans to business But there's no amount of money that can make up for the losses of the magnitude we are facing if this extends for several more weeks after the $1 trillion this month. We'll have to spend spend another $1 trillion in April, another in June. I don't know why they skipped May, but for the next few weeks, months, years, nothing will matter more to politicians and the media except increasingly stringent public health methods that will become more draconian and probably less successful than those taken in countries such as South Korea, where life is beginning to drift back to normal, but as the window on a measured response gets nailed shut like the apartment doors of infected residents in China reportedly were, we should put in a marker to come back to these questions whatever life returns to normal uh yeah so you know like i said i mean i'm not i'm not like jumping to you know that that is definitely right i do not know how to like predict what would happen if we did in lockdown uh but i don't really believe that they have a good idea you know, and, you know, something I've, I've heard a lot of mixed messages about, for instance, well, let you know, let's just look at the, the some of these numbers real quick. And I, I'm going to wrap it up after this. So, you know, we're like 800,000 cases in the U.S., by far, you know, more than anywhere else. Um, it gets a little closer. You correct for population. I'm going to say there's 50 uh maybe 60 million people in spain so they have more it looks like they have more per capita they have 200,000 cases um and they're like 
maybe one sixth of the U.S. population. So if they were at our population, they would be over a million. I want to say Italy is roughly the same. The death rates are still pretty interesting. You know, you have Italy, Spain, and France with between 150 and 200,000 cases, and they're all hovering around 20,000. Italy actually has 24,000 deaths, but they're all pretty close. It's interesting how France has caught up, right? Remember, Italy was just like the worst, the worst, the worst, and oh my God, I can't even believe it. France, you know, not really adding that many new cases, but you know, there's still... France's daily deaths are really off the wall. They have like these big spikes. And if you kind of lop off the spikes, they've been increasing really up until like like deaths per day up until like very, very recently. Maybe the last couple days there's been a drop, but given the volatility, I don't know, maybe they're finally like finally dropping. France is really interesting, and they have, like, their new cases. I mean, it's all about how stuff's getting reported, and you can look at this info, and you can see, like, the different um, explanations for each day's statistics. So you could go back. I, I'm not going to do that right now. But it certainly does it. It looks like that, however, stuff's getting reported in France – stuff's getting lumped onto some days and then not. I mean, one day with 2,000 cases and then the next day there were 17,000. I mean, I'm sure that it's actually just spread out a little more. Um, But anyway, right? 20,000 deaths, a lot. And then you have Germany, 147,000. It's almost, you know, the same amount, 150,000. Their active cases are actually declining. And... Their total deaths are under 5,000. So they have a quarter of the deaths and almost the exact same number of cases. I, I still haven't really heard any explanation. And UK is up there pretty high. They have 16,000, you know. And again, we have 42,000 deaths. But, you know, correcting for population, France, Italy, Spain, they have way more. You know, we're, we're way over double the population of those places. Uh, I mean, I think they're all like in that 50, 60 million range. So, you know, five that we, we would be like in the hundred, hundred thousand deaths at this point. Uh, so, you know, again, like the U S totally demonized, but you know, all these places in Western Europe, um, Except, you know, Germany. Germany is, seems like, I, and again, like, what is the explanation? How are they have almost the same amount of cases, but way less deaths? It's quite interesting. Um, another big thing you hear is uh, Sweden. And, and, and Sweden was pointed out, it's like, oh, Sweden didn't lock down. And then I've heard, you know... It's trying to see. Uh, whatever. It's one of these stupid things won't let me look. Um, because I have an ad blocker. Sorry. April 15th. Sweden's controversial decision to not lock down the com- 
country. Most of the world's major economies are on lockdown to combat the coronavirus, but the Swedish government has kept the country open, claiming it is better for the economy and for public health. Very interesting, right? But this is, you know, will be cited as like, oh, this is a socialist, and this is why we should be socialists. And this is April 15th. This is only five days ago. And NPR. So pretty left-leaning. Uh, unlike much of the world, Sweden has avoided a mandatory lockdown. It's sticking with the approach, even though Sweden now has a higher number of code cases and deaths than its immediate neighbors. So that's an interesting statement. So what are its immediate neighbors? Finland, Norway, Denmark, they're all basically touching. Um, I would assume they probably are more referring to Finland and Norway, but, you know, whatever. So, um, let's see. So, Denmark is very small. Schmoll. Um, let's look at... So, first of all, Sweden is, you know, double the population of any of its neighbors. It has... Uh, I don't even know it is sorry you're gonna have to deal with me looking around a little bit has 10 million 99 so like 10 10 million people and finland is 5.5 norway is 5.4 denmark like we said might not be Mark may not be the best comparison. It's a lot more densely populated at five with 5.8 million people, but it's 137 people per square mile, or Sweden's 25, Finland's 18, Norway's 15. I, you know, big, relatively big. Um, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know, 40 percent. Um, more dense than Norway, it's pretty, you know, pretty significant. I'm not sure it matters, but all they're saying is the number of cases, right? There's no qualifier. Uh, so, how many cases do they have, though? Um, let's get around here and look. Let's look. Let's look. So we have Denmark has 7,500. Um, Sweden has 14,000. I mean, you know, about double the population, about double the cases. Let's uh, say Norway, same thing. 7,100, so, you know, about, about a little less than double, you know, but it's certainly not, like, far off, um, and then I think Finland's a little lower, so Finland has closer to 4,000, so there you go, um, Now, I will say, though, that Sweden is uh, reporting way more deaths. So that's something. But that's, 
see you keep running into this testing thing like it's like I'm, I'm still sort of naturally pulled like oh this many cases this many cases but who knows how they're testing i feel like the deaths are a bit more um to me the deaths are more uh like to argue against the deaths you have to then basically be arguing that they're mislabeling um but i think that like you know generally at least in in our you know uh first world countries i mean people are getting counted when they're dying one way or the other and they're slapping like a reason onto like them dying so i i do kind of lean on the deaths now and now obviously too you you know you look at germany and you wonder why are so few people dying but again you're making the connection or i am it's in, maybe you're a lot smarter than me and and analyzing this better um but you're kind of naturally making the connection of well they have similar number of cases why are their deaths so much different well maybe they don't actually have a similar number of infected people because you don't know how like unless you're somehow controlling for the testing i think you kind of at the end of the day just got to like look at the deaths uh, unless you're going to argue that then all oh, these populations, like they tried to say with Italy, oh, Italy is such an old population, you know, whatever. And now you see France and now you see Spain, you know, following suit with almost the same numbers, UK for similar, um, deaths. So while I would come to the defense with argument of population that Sweden does not seem to have nearly as many, uh, cases they have way more deaths like way more than finland or norway and i don't know where denmark is on this but it, and again denmark being probably the the toughest comparison and they still have way more than denmark um you know uh yeah yeah you like you double we, we said roughly right you would double any of these populations they're they're all about half they double denmark and they're, they're at like 700 deaths there's still half as many as sweden so well, i have to, you know i have to say i mean I, I i don't i don't know what people are necessarily hanging on to here unless there's some conspiracy theory that I haven't heard that the number of deaths in Sweden isn't real or they're somehow further along, you know, than, uh, than Norway. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Norway is like, they're already dropped. They have like less than a hundred new cases a day. The number of new deaths. Now the biggest, you know, yesterday was their biggest uh biggest single day of deaths with 16 so i don't know again right so like you're looking at the number of cases 78 new cases and 16 people died i mean they're clearly not testing very many people right like we know the mortality rate isn't like one in five so uh that that doesn't really track so you can't really buy their their overall numbers for corona cases 
Uh, but I'm leaning more and more towards the deaths because you just can't really, unless, you know, and, and certainly we hear this in the U.S., that they're counting everybody that dies as, like, died of COVID-19, and, you know, maybe that's wrong, and possibly it is, I don't know, you know. I mean, it, you'd probably find it pretty shocking that if you looked, uh, Mexico somehow only is reporting 8,700 cases and 700 deaths. You know, I mean, what do you, how do you make sense out of those numbers? Do you really think, are they really doing a quarantine there? I don't know. So, uh, anyway, I did, um, I, I did want to mention that because you hear a lot of stuff and I, I don't know, you know why, but to me, like the slam dunk is, uh, <laughs> the amount of deaths. I mean, there, you know, you're seeing like, over a hundred deaths a day in a lot a lot of these days in Sweden. And it looks like maybe they hit their peak, but that was only five days ago. They've certainly had a, a big drop since that peak. And and I don't, you know, again, I, I know that they they do give they give a source here, but you know, I don't uh, oh boy. It's literally uh, a Swedish page. Um, I have absolutely no idea how to read this. But uh, there is a pretty cool... It's experience.arcgis.com. Some crazy uh, plots. Looks like they have stuff broken down in like counties or something. But it's all in Swedish. So I cannot read it, man. Uh, but this place is reporting, you know, that 1,500 deaths. You know, for a 10 million person population, 1,500, uh, that's a lot of deaths compared, right? Like, I, and I know, like, you can't necessarily scale stuff linear, right? But they've got... Yeah, I mean, I guess they're like on kind of a similar, uh, similar track, maybe roughly. I mean, they're not like you know outrageously. Uh... So I, I, th I mean, roughly, you're you're getting into like the fifty some thousand range, I guess, of deaths if you scale up for population. Um, so kind of similar to us, but right. So, I mean, that, that's kind of interesting, but they could also be earlier, you know, in, in their curve than us. Uh, you know, I don't know how, to, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure. It seems like kind of similar to us. Um, but wouldn't that be funny that if somehow whatever we did in the U S and whatever they did in Sweden is exactly the same result, uh, I don't know, you know, um, then I, I, you know, you would have to say that it wasn't worth it because the economic death toll that's going to come following this is going to be pretty bad. Um, certainly more than zero. So anyway, I'm going to end the rant now. This was way, way longer <laughs> than I expected. Um, uh, so hope you managed to stay to the end. And if you're super fucking annoyed at a bunch of dumb ass people stalking, talking really loudly 
then I hope that's at least you found some solace in this and just try maybe to not contribute to the cacophony screaming you know i actually really appreciate work because we don't talk about this shit at all you don't hear people talking about how dumb trump is or you know anything or all you know whatever like all these assumptions about yo you're gonna question the epidemiologist you know nobody i mean that's the problem right nobody is even like there's no real popular media getting out there and getting into the discussion of like what is the economic toll that that this is taking on us can somebody at least you know we have every fucking epidemiologist in the fucking world crawling out of the woodwork to give their estimation and cram it down your throat and you're accused of having blood on your hands if you just question it uh but you know where are the economists you know, where, where are these, these people? I mean, you know, I'm not even, I'm barely, you know, Reason Magazine, but I mean, was that a good article? I mean, it fucking, it just gave some like anecdotal stuff. And, you know, I guess that's what maybe you expect from Reason Magazine. They're not, you know, they're not like Austrian economic backed libertarians. They're, they're probably like minarchists and whatnot. So, you know, they already kind of have a, have a soft mind. Um, not well formed philosophically um but you know this shit that's going out there i mean i'm sure there's articles on mises and stuff but nobody fucking reads any of these and uh yeah it's crazy nobody's even thinking about it and you're evil if you do think about it so fucking think about it because you know when a bunch of evil people are calling you evil a bunch of idiots are calling you evil well maybe you're actually on the the right side of this uh you know this equation anyway so hang in there i have no idea i don't think it's going to get better i think maybe the best thing you could do is start to see how can you possibly capitalize in some small way on the economic wreckage like hopefully maybe you do have some money away and maybe you can make a move you know maybe you can buy some assets very cheap and you're able to weather this thing. But, you know, for those people that don't have that, that are just broke as fuck, that didn't have any savings to begin with, I mean, what are you, you know, what are you doing? You're starting, you're selling anything that's not nailed down. You're praising God for your $1,200 check, your one time payout. And I even thought, I even heard that that was like actually just like a, 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 a an advance on, on your tax rebate. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I build up enough supplies and, and some backup capital to weather, you know, a certain amount of time, but not forever. And the thing is, is like every month that would eat into it is now like, I mean, how long did it take me to build that up, right? If I'm all of a sudden out of work, like totally, totally done. Now, if I just stayed the way I am, maybe I could last like another six months. Now, obviously, I would make some serious cutbacks and stuff. But let's say I made it through that six months, you know, and and then I get a job and boom, I'm back on my feet. Didn't lose my house or anything. Didn't really have to sell off much, you know, whatever. Basically just lived, you know, my same lifestyle. But now I don't have any fucking savings. Now I get to start all over again, you know? So, I mean, the, the, even in that, like, you know, rosy scenario that everybody on the outside sees, like, 
oh, well, you don't even know what struggle is or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, it shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be like striving for a world of break even that like everybody lives check to check. And in, and like, if you've managed to produce more than you can consume economically, you're demonized. Like, let's get out of that, you know? Because they're the people that are going to be fucking, like, surviving through the massive economic downturn. Anyway, all right. I absolutely got to stop. <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like I could just rant on this forever. Um, but, uh, yeah. I hope you find some solace, friends. Uh, because the volume of the idiots is just getting louder and louder. So I will try to suck it up and do another episode, you know, sooner than one month apart. Um, and uh, hopefully you're not in too bad a shape and you're still able to pay your light bill and your internet bill and enough and your phone bill or whatever, however you listen to this and you'll still be able to hear me. Um, so God bless until next time. Peace.